0: The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You are listening to 88.9 FM KUCI, broadcasting live on the campus of UC Irvine since 1969.
1: Good morning. You're listening to Ask a Leader. I'm your host, Claudia Shambaugh, welcoming you to my August 21, 2012 edition. Well, I want to thank Heather for that lovely segue. Our program content is another local cultural institution, Jim Washburn. And so we're going to have a real treat talking with him about uh, the whole uh, setting that I thought was so wonderful uh, a couple of weeks ago when I heard the Lady Smith Black Mombazo perform at the Great Park and I so much enjoyed the whole setting. I, I met Jim Washburn, my guest today there, and I just loved everything about it. I, w- I had this chance that he was available to talk about many the many cultural hats that he wears here around Orange County and talk about the upcoming concert that he curated at the Great Park. We'll cover that along with considering other local matters. We'll be right back after a station break, so don't go away. Thank you for staying with us here on Ask a Leader. We are very lucky and pleased to have on the show this morning my guest, Jim Washburn, a product of many locations around Southern California, including attending Corona Del Mar High and UC Irvine. He's dabbled into humor, politics, popular culture, film, and writing, and has penned two nonfiction books and a novel. Many of you have seen his bylines in the LA Times, the Orange County Register, and most recently the OC Weekly. Or did you have a pen name like a lot of those other folks? No, like just there? G-
0: Jim Washburn usually seems to suffice.
1: Like so OC Weekly's loaded with pen names. They, they never yeah. want to know who's really written some of those things. So anyway, uh, in his own words, so he is, the his chief hobby, since it sure isn't a profession, is playing music, which he does chiefly on guitar, end of quote. In the middle, of the 1990s, Jim reigned on the KUCI Radio A waves with his Radio Free OC show. Jim Washburn joins me today in Studio A to talk about what he has in store for us as curator of this Thursday night's Made in America themed performance at the Orange County Great Park, as well as other matters like the state of the media. We have the whole hour with him this morning. Jim, thank you for being on Ask a Leader this morning.
0: Well, thanks so much for having me in. The studio is much larger and nicer than when I was here previously, though it's certainly as muggy.
1: Oh, okay, well, it's the summer, and you, you did all the seasons for, for many, many years. So what, let's start with the sort of music legacy that Orange County's contributed. Some of those fabulous guitars that people can't think of performing without. Could you talk to us about that first, Jim?
0: I certainly can. The show Thursday, uh, we should mention, is basically guitar-themed because guitar has basically been the preeminent instrument, for better or worse, in our popular culture for, like, well over 60 years now. And a whole lot of it is due to Clarence Leo Fender, who was born in a barn on the outskirts of Anaheim early in the last century and loved music. He didn't play an instrument himself, but he loved it, and he was always heading out to hear country music, which was his main favorite thing. Uh, He built PA systems for local musicians to use. He did many things like that, and eventually, you know, having repaired a number of instruments that local musicians had, he started thinking he could do them better than they were presently being made. He made steel guitars and eventually uh, pioneered what became known as the Telecaster which was the first successful solid body electric guitar from there he went on to the Fender Stratocaster uh, which has been essentially the that along with the Les Paul pretty much the defining instrument of rock and roll uh, he intended it initially for country musicians but people like Jimi Hendrix took it on and instead of just playing country plink-a-plink music we're basically creating the sounds of exploding universes on the thing it was such a versatile instrument that it lent itself to that and um and it was a very democratizing instrument as well whereas previously to play a dance you would need basically something that they would call an orchestra mm-hmm. you know if not a, a symphony orchestra but basically a big band to create enough noise to make people dance suddenly three people with a drum set two amplifiers a gu- you know a guitar and a bass could make just as big a racket and keep people dancing and it was also eminently affordable so that um Basically, a lot of what previously used to be regarded as niche music or folk music became the predominant music. You know, basically, it became rock and roll.
1: Well, and it was all here. Mr. Fender. And so he he reigned from, you said he was born in the beginning of the last century. And yeah. when was his last guitar rolled out under his ownership. Oh, you wouldn't Roughly. Ask. Um, oh, well, I'm just okay, wondering. Well,
0: he, but- s- he sold the Fender Company in 66, then formed several other companies. His last one was called GNL, the L standing for Leo, uh, the G for George Fullerton, uh, who was his longtime partner. And I think well into the 1990s, you know, until he died, um, he was making instruments. Uh, there were still th- new, new products on his workbench. He would go in every day and be tinkering around on things, always trying to improve on what he'd done before, whereas other people esteem his old instruments highly. You know, like there's 50 Stratocasters that can sell for $60,000, $80,000. He didn't esteem them particularly well because, A, he used to manufacture them all day. They were like toasters to him. Mm. And also because he always thought he was improving on them.
1: Well, oh, that's wonderful. And so we might hear a few fenders, perhaps, at the Jim Washburn's guitar picks on Thursday, maybe? Maybe Some-
0: one or two, though um, a couple of the artists we have, 10 more to play acoustic instruments and Junior okay. Watson. Uh, part, of, part of the Fender story is, you know, he opened a door with this stuff. When his salesman went out on the road with the Fender Telecaster initially, they'd taken him into a music store and pretty much get laughed out of the store. Our salesman would be saying, where's the boat you're going to row with that paddle? And then the salesman, this was pretty much their standard operating procedure, would go into the find out what the local music hotspot was, put the guitar in the hands of a couple of musicians. They would play it that night. Other people would hear it, and the salesman would walk into the store the next morning with a handful of orders for Fender guitars and say, well, you could become a Fender dealer and fill these orders, or we can. And that's eventually, you know, initially how they got sold but initially there was a lot of resistance to them within three years or so this radical new idea um, budget companies were selling similar guitars in the sears robot catalog the montgomery ward catalog for even cheaper prices and one of those was a company out of chicago called harmony that made an incredibly cheap plank-like instrument it did look like a plank sort of called a stratotone mm. and that's the uh, the instrument that junior watson tends to favor they originally sold for about thirty-seven dollars, and night. we'll
1: say, and we'll talk about Junior wants uh, yeah. at length uh, later on. Yeah. But you're talking about he picked up this yeah this paddle.
0: Yeah, he did, and and you know somehow sixty years later, this incredibly cheap guitar. More more often than not, they're still sort of working and holding up. And blues guys, just sort of like having to fight them to get a neat tone out of them.
1: Oh my goodness. So, well, we're we're going to alternately talk about these artists. Uh, they're not. Featured by name in the brochure that everyone received in uh, the Orange County area for the Great Parks uh, summer offerings. So what the beauty of this particular show that is that Jim Washburn will walk us through uh, these uh, performers that he has juried for this. You, did you have, like, did, did Henry Corn just say, well... Jim, do what you want to do with this night? Or how did that? How did you get yeah. to be the curator for Thursday night? Well, essentially,
0: it's Henry then filtered through the Irvine Barclay Theater, which actually books the concerts and events because they're so expert at that and have done a marvelous job at the Barclay Theater for bringing such a great variety of culture to the county. And yes. so from the get-go, I think this is the fifth year, correct me if I'm wrong, of them bringing concerts to the park. Um, they've done a great job of it. Mm. And I've just known the people there for years first as a critic and then I've helped them try to promote the shows a year or two and because um, and they knew I was nuts about guitar they you know we'd kicked around the idea of a guitar fest for years and then this is sort of like a mini version of it we decided to try and um, and it, it happened came together pretty quickly you know you you have your dream list of who you'd like and the first thing you do is you check to see where they're booked already because you hate being disappointed. <laughs> and, right. Um, so, um, but so you always got to l- reach. Like one of the people I would love to have gotten is Richard Thompson, who's a British guitar player who, yes. in my opinion, is probably the best living, at least most interesting, both electric and acoustic guitarist around. And
1: a lyricist, too. He's yeah. really got some yeah. amazing things to yeah. sing about.
0: And But unfortunately, he was already booked up. Um, but the, the first people we did check, John Jorgensen, just fortuitously was playing in the area at the same time. So that kind of made him... A little more affordable than having to fly him in specifically and um, then the other two fellows we ran it out with are some of the best guys in their fields but they also happen to live locally so that helped a lot
1: um, well the other thing is that you can book richard thompson for next year the two years from now so mm-hmm. we, we've got you got him in the bag and then work oh. around that theme or something like that yeah if,
0: if this comes up again we'd certainly love to do that and um and jorgensen is not quite local, but sort of. He's from Redlands originally, but he got his musical start playing in Disneyland, which has been kind of a, a nice melting pot for a lot of musicians over the years. He initially was playing clarinet there in a Dixieland band, but was primarily a guitarist and loved playing gypsy jazz. So he um, convinced the folks at Disneyland to let them start another little combo there.
1: And when you say gypsy jazz, for those who yeah. know, they know the genre, but they, they associate that with Django Reinhardt. That yeah, kind of uh, sound. Yep,
0: exactly. He was pretty much the the wellspring for everything we regard as gypsy jazz now. He and Stefan Grappelli, the mm. violinist in that company. David Grisman a little bit.
1: Yeah, accompanying Gr- Gr- it.
0: Yeah, Grisman came along decades later. Right. Fabulous though he is. And um, and so they pretty much defined the genre back in nineteen thirties France. Um, somehow even the Nazis liked him. You know, they they had a habit of, of murdering gypsies, but not Django. He was I, irresistible. I think he had mixed feelings about that and was mm. one of the more fabulous musicians of the last century. Uh, he had a um, very colorful life. Even after he was a huge success, uh, he would pride himself on stealing chickens out of people's yards just to stay in practice. His oh. his, his favorite food was a stew made out of a hedgehog, and he lived in a gypsy caravan most of his life. Yes. And fairly early on in his career, his wife uh, had been making celluloid flowers for a wedding. And celluloid, pretty though it is, is very flammable. And a candle or something upset and all these celluloid flowers burst into flames. Uh, Django was able to pull his, you know, went in there and pull his wife out, was able to save her, but at the expense of the better part of one of his hands or on his fretting hand, the, the hand where you really need your fingers. Well, that's two, two of his fingers were permanently burnt and paralyzed. He could kind of use them in a club-like way to fret, but basically these incredible speed runs that people do their best to duplicate. Right. He essentially was doing with two fingers. And some of the people that are real partisans to his playing style who want to learn his solos note for note even like tape up two of their fingers so well, they can why. so they can try to play in the exact manner that he did. That's that's a little extreme. John Jorgensen... I think attempted that just to see if he could do it once he said,
1: but it's not really... Left it to the master. Yeah, that's handicapping yourself a little over much. <clears throat> wow. Well, for those of you who've just joined us, we're talking this morning for the full hour with Jim Washburn, and he's talking about... The event he's curated at the Great Park on Thursday evening, uh, Jim Washburn's guitar picks, and talking about the legacy of the the gypsy uh, jazz that uh, Django Reinhardt contributed to the first of the two artists that it will be performing. That's um, John Jorgensen Quintet, and we. Uh, do you want to say a little bit more about John Jorgensen before I, we spend yeah, a, we're gonna I, I play a little would. excerpt?
0: Yeah, at, at Disneyland um, again, he convinced them to. Um, to let him start another combo there along with the other. I think he was playing bluegrass there in Frontierland. He was playing Dixieland jazz at um, what, like what, that New Orleans Square. And he also convinced him to let him start up a little band doing the gypsy jazz stuff that they called the Rhythm Brothers. So we started doing that there. And kind of a side note, there's a fellow named Tommy Davey who's in his young 20s now, who's also one of the more fabulous players in the gypsy jazz genre. And he got turned on in the music because his parents took him to Land, he says, when he was four. And he, well, fell, he heard John Jorgensen playing there and fell in love with the music, and that's what he does for a living now.
1: Well, here's the, an authentic, uh, original uh cultural contribution from disney who would have thought you would have brought that in here this morning jim thank goodness
0: and um and john went from there uh, kind of a, a total left field from that uh he wound up in a country band called the um, Desert Rose Band Uh that had a number of number one country hits. Uh, While their guitarist John won numerous awards for several years as the best guitarist in country music from the Academy of Country Music and he added kind of a a Beatle-like flavor to it you know like as if Mm. basically the Mersey River flowed through Bakersfield. He kind of added that little bit of a sound to it and it worked really well. From there he went on to a guitar group called the Helicasters that was sort of like almost a psychedelic ventures. And then he played with Elton John for six years. He's on records with Barbara Streisand and a number of other people. And then returned to his pretty much first love of playing gypsy jazz, though with his own compositional flair added to it. And it should be very interesting. We just found out uh, his keyboard player uh, had an accident, got injured in Hawaii. So he's going to be playing without a keyboard player on Thursday, but with adding an extra rhythm guitarist. Um, so
1: more guitars. Yeah, one
0: more guitar. Who, who would have thunk it?
1: All right. Well, are we ready to f- have a listen to the first uh, track on his album known as *Ultra Spontane*? Yeah. Shall we We've, do that?
0: Yeah. Track number one would suffice just fine.
1: Okay. Let's take a listen then. Mm-hmm. That was, we're still listening in the background. Tell us, Jim, a little bit about what we were listening to. Well, that's fairly typical of what
0: he does, which is taking the gypsy jazz sound just pushing it slightly into other boundaries and things, different rhythms and things than they had applied previously. As you can tell, it's a tremendously dexterous music. You know, there's a lot of speed in it, but also a lot of melodicism and lilt to it. Uh, the style of guitar played on that is was developed by a guy named Mario McAferri. And it was sort of a distinctive guitar. It's got a very kind of percussive sound, enough sustained to be melodic, but also very percussive sort of sound. And it was just a kind of odd, distinctive guitar. And Mario wound up moving to the United States and making a fortune making plastic guitars and ukuleles and plastic clothespins. Wow. So go figure. But for a long time in France, these guitars were tremendously esteemed and um, are very, very rare now. I think John plays a more modern variant based on that design now
1: well i had to pinch myself i thought for sure i was listening to django reinhardt that that he's so close into that genre there so Mm -hmm. right in the middle of that it's beautiful
0: yeah there are entire django fests there was they held one in laguna for a few years and there's still one on whidbey island every year up in washington and a few other places in the u.s where the devotees of this music will just fly in from wherever And they'll bring in some of the European adherents. Uh, Django has a couple of, uh, you know, distant relatives, you know, second cousins, third removed or whatever, that play in the style that are very good, and a lot of other people as well.
1: And I don't mind mentioning there is a neighbor in this community whose son was named after him, and he's just finished uni high. Ah. Hey, Django Mangalem, this is a shout-out to you, buddy. So uh, we'll... um, so there you are with that mm-hmm. sound. Um, we, you also were interested in having us listen to another track. What do we need to know about? It's the, um, I'm, I'm not sure which mm. number eight is, oh, it's the bossa Orpheum. Yeah. Orpheum. That,
0: yeah, not too much more to know about that, just it pushes it slightly into a uh, South American bossa Nova style which uh, hadn't quite been come up with yet when Django was around, so he didn't get to explore that. And it's funny, like everything else, you know, there's these traditionalists, and we'll discuss that a little bit with Ron Jr. Watson as well, that people think, oh, you got to perform it exactly the way it was done back then, whereas back then, those guys were wide open to new sounds. You know, if Django heard something new, he would develop it. He did one tour of the United States with Duke Ellington, which really? was— Really? Yeah, when which was, was that? Uh, Roughly. 1946, I think.
1: After the World War. Okay. Yeah.
0: And uh, the first opportunity really had to come here. And, uh, and that was the first time anyone put an electric guitar in his hands. They so hadn't come up with the solid-body ones Leo had yet, but they were putting pickups on acoustic big-body jazz guitars. Wow. And they was sometimes feedback. And, um, and, you know, with this new sound, he was just stretching out and making new noises and things even then, and having a great time. Along with being a, a thorough gypsy, there was a, a fairly, the biggest show on the tour he did with Ellington was at uh, Carnegie Hall. And he was a no-show for the first show because he'd been in a bar and saw a fellow Frenchman there and got to talking with him and forgot about the show.
1: Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. So here we go, Bassa Orpheum, uh, another track on the John Jorgensen Quintet. Let's have a listen to that. Thank you for having a listen. That was John Jorgensen Quintet uh, playing Basso Orpheum and so uh, Jim Washburn, my guest today on Ask a Leader for this entire hour who's curated the Great Parks uh, music performance series that Jim Washburn's guitar picks p-i-c-k-s because he's chosen these sounds the uh second artist that will be uh performing is junior watson and we've got we'll hear some sounds of his but give us a little introduction to what junior watson is all about would you jim
0: i'd be glad to and junior is going on in the middle of the program uh john's the headliner he goes on last and um and junior is uh what to say about him liz and stanton somebody has to (laughs) And he's he's originally, I think, from Sacramento and came down here in the very late 70s, early 80s and got known to a lot of local audiences as the guitar player in uh, the Rod Piazza band, the Mighty Flyers, they were called. And they played a whole lot in all the local watering holes. And uh, curious, at the same time disco was sort of going on, In the coastal cities, Newport and Laguna particularly, they sprang up a real love of roots music. Chris Gaffney was playing country music.
1: When you say roots, exactly what do you mean for all of us? Uh,
0: Well, there's there's certainly more roots than this, but uh, specifically locally blues and country music, mostly blues. You know, the, the country that came in mostly in the county was that sort of Erzatz country that came in with their whole urban cowboy thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chris Gaffney, when he was around, was playing a much more rootsy, original kind of country. And then most of the blues stuff was also, you know, very tied to the 1950s sound of the blues. Uh, Watson's specialty was kind of West Coast jump swing. It, it got called, that was pioneered by uh, T-Bone Walker and a very jazz-inflected, very lively style of playing that Watson just took to naturally. He can play virtually everything else in the blues, but uh, that was his specialty. And the thing I love about him, having heard a lot, a lot of blues and being bored silly by most of it now, is that he's very spontaneous and alive. You know, again, we, we were talking about how some people treat music as this museum piece and you can't mess with it. He's very much open to new things and playing in the moment. Which is supposedly what music's all about. It's a thing that sort of takes you outside yourself, connects you with something more than yourself, where you forget the moment and all your ego-based things and all that. And he just plays. And it, to, to my ear, it's some of the most marvelous stuff. It's sort of like a Louis Armstrong thing, where every time he takes a solo, it's a little adventure. You know, he takes, like, you get the feeling he's just step two steps forward into you know not what. And it's very surprising music a lot of the time.
1: Okay, fine. So we're, are you ready now to uh, have a listen to Junior Watson's?
0: Yeah, yeah. the track we're about to listen to is uh, very, you know, he plays melody a lot, too. And the, this one you might recognize as One Night With You, which was a song Elvis recorded early in his career. Earlier than that, uh, it was written, I think, by a New Orleans fellow named Dave Bar- Bartholomew, and the original version was called One Night of Sin, which was just Uh-oh. a little too much for radio audiences. So when Elvis <laughs> did it, they cleaned it up a little Uh, This one's instrumental, so you don't even have to worry about the sin part. It's pretty salacious on its own.
1: Oh, okay. So let's hear now this track. It's One Night With You, a la Junior Watson. Stay with us, folks. That was a bit between the sheets or on top of the springs. I'm not sure which. That was really that was a doozer. And I'm sure, like I like blues live. The a live performance of this is going to just undo everybody, as my imagination. So what what more did you want to add to this before we go try and listen to a happy hoppy?
0: Yeah, well that's that's him playing slow, and you might notice like the sound sounds pretty raw. Yeah, I was, they, they like you know one of his favorite things is just recording it into an old tube tape recorder that's distorting mm. the things, where as much as he likes new sounds, they like stuff that's just on the verge of falling apart, I think, and exploding when it comes to um the, the sound that they record. This he recorded half up in Canada. He has to go a long ways to find people willing to make recordings that sound this goofy.
1: Oh, wow. You know. But how does how he live then? He doesn't have those kinds of... Or does he bring oh. some sorts of... Uh, he's usually Thanks.
0: still playing through very old equipment you know he's playing uh, he, he has two guitars on stage typically one's a 1955 again budget guitar that sold for around 36 bucks back then and then he has another guitar that was basically based on that that's made by a local guitarist here in Orange County named Dan Dunham hmm. it's the Junior Watson Signature Model okay which is again kind of a, a funny they're, they're really small guitars but with a really fat neck that a lot of people can't do anything with they're They're kind of a bear to play, but nothing sounds quite like them.
1: So uh, then we're ready to listen to Happy Hoppy then.
0: Yeah, which is a little more of his up-tempo style of things.
1: Okay, fine. Here we go. Let's listen to that. absolutely wonderful thanks Jim for bringing that one on so what we'll do now is the the third and uh, final or now in the order of yeah. p- appearing this will be uh, Mark Turnbull will be playing after the opener with no, no, Junior Watson
0: he'll be the first one on he's the actually. first one we're going yeah. backwards with how yeah, and appear. he performs the solo with a nylon string classical guitar uh mark's chiefly known as a songwriter and singer um he's written whole musicals he did one on manet the painter that was uh, i think the, the most well-attended longest-running thing they ever did at the laguna playhouse where he was also the music director
1: uh-huh mm-hmm. go ahead
0: oh and uh but he's sort of like a willie nelson where willie is great a songwriter as he is and everything else if um if he were not you know known for that he would still just be known i think as a fabulous guitar player and uh Excellent. and he's neato i like him a lot he's uh he's from orange county but he's about half the year i think up in ashland oregon as well because he's doing a lot of theater stuff up there and we're, we were lucky to get him down to play this date
1: okay well very good then we're going to have a listen to the track on his it's called father's day in parentheses simplicity himself a capital H himself, and we'll n- listen to now is the hour. That's Mark Turnbull, who will be performing at the Jim Washburn Guitar Picks at the the uh, Orange County Great Park uh, performance Thursday night. Mm-hmm. i give you my word now comes in power i give you my word well that was the artist mark watson mark turnbull uh, i'm sorry yeah. who will be performing uh, uh as um, he'll be beginning the jim washburn's guitar picks at the great park and you were going to say a little mm-hmm. bit about we want to make sure everybody knows mm-hmm. the particulars it's going to be this thursday at uh, the park the yeah. uh, restaurant uh, opens at around six, folks. Every, y- your admission is free. It's ten dollars mm-hmm. to park, so fill up your car, bring your picnic along, and you meet your old friends there. I sure met a lot of old friends there. Meet make some new ones. And yes, Jim, but no, mm-hmm. bring it on.
0: It's even pet friendly.
1: Oh, that's yeah. important thing to know. Yeah,
0: yeah. The, the, the years I was trying to help promote the shows, I was even contacting pet friendly websites. You know, say bring your animals, because just anything to get people bring your out beasts. there. What, and, it's a marvelous multicultural series where, you know, they're, they're aiming to be a great metropolitan park. And, you know, particularly they're, they're starting to build it out now. But first couple of years, there wasn't that much park to speak of. But I think they were so well serving the function of a park by bringing all these diverse groups of people together here where, you know, there's a large Indian community here and all this stuff. And they would do a night of Indian music. And the people that loved that would like the setting so much they'd come out for all the other you know various cultures and things. They've done a great job of trying to represent, you know, a whole world of music out there. As you mentioned, you'd seen Lady Smith Black Mamba out right. there, and just just about all ages and you know strata are to get wind up getting represented out there because the Barclay. That's pretty much what they're good at. You know, they've done a fabulous flamenco fest at the Barclay for years and things, and uh, they they bring in a nice world of music, and it's helping I think to create a sense of community, which is one of the reasons why a park exists
1: and i must say i I've, I've had yeah. to go all the way to downtown la for the grand performances to get what i can get now right at the great park it's really mm-hmm. when we talk about diversity it's not just a shell to uh you know pitch an idea it's it's really it's alive and well at these performances and yeah uh, it's and go- the, the shows
0: in general um start at eight fifteen. We might try to nudge ours up a few minutes early. just So many artists. Because you know, usually they have one artist. We've got three. We're trying to give them all wide shift. And I'm going to be on before and between the artists doing a whimsical and hopefully fact-free history of the guitar. Oh, good, um, good. With maybe a couple of ugly props. I'm not sure. We've also set up a uh, guitar museum of some notable and infamous instruments and just wacky things that are odd, you know, odd little bywaters of the, gu- the guitar world. Wow. And that might be fun. And uh, is this is going to
1: be videotaped.
0: Pardon me? are you going to videotape this performance? Oh, I hope somebody does. Somebody, I hope.
1: Yeah. Well, let's talk to Henry the, and Korn about that. it's
0: hard not to video things. Is that a security camera in the corner here?
1: Yes, that's so that our general, our station manager knows that we're not uh, sharing a bong in this ah. uh, studio A, which uh, would never occur to me. But now that you ask oh. about, that, I have to tell you why it's in there. Well, that's
0: certainly changed. <laughs> <laughs> no. anyway, and the other acts, uh, if we might mention them briefly, uh, the the weekend of which uh, the show I curated as a part is called the Made in America Weekend because they're all American artists, though. Yes. One of them is playing French music. Go figure. Um, that was made. Yeah. Here. And then there's the, the Pete Jacobs Band, Friday Night, which is a great dance band uh, playing music from way back that they're really good at. Saturday is the Del McCurry Band, which is the eminent and preeminent band in um, bluegrass music these days. They're fabulous. Mm. We were mentioning Richard Thompson earlier. Yes. They do a great version of Richard Thompson's Vincent Black Lightning. Uh, they're very traditional yet current. They're a fabulous band, largely family members, father, a couple of sons, some other members, and they just make a beautiful noise. Even if you don't like bluegrass, or if you think you don't like bluegrass, try not to like these guys. Okay. I'd say then there's yet one more weekend. Um, right, right where they recently added the Aquabats, which I think is the Friday night, um, August 31st. And then, um,
1: and we'll have Sandy Robertson on next week, I'll, I'll say that at the end again, to oh the boy. show. Okay. She'll talk about that, and the schedule's different from the printout that everybody received in the mail, so yeah. uh, we're yeah. going to uh, yeah. give the post postman because it's moved up a day, I believe.
0: Yeah, yeah, they added to that, and then they're also doing LaVey Smith and her Red Hot Skillet Lickers, who are a very danceable, fun band, again, kind of in our older swing style. Okay. Uh, swing and jump blues again and blues. And that, that kind of rounds out this year. They had a bunch of stuff earlier and just start getting ready for next summer because it's one of the nicer evenings you can spend under the stars.
1: It is. And so you're going to stay involved with this, you institutional, Mr. Institution, Jim. Oh, and. If oh, they have me back. And sure. we will, yeah, yeah, I'm sure they will because I'm, I know this is going to be successful. We're going to go out with a wee tiny break with uh, Mark Turnbull's, the rest of his tune, and then a little bit of uh, paperwork for the FCC. And then we'll, uh, we'll be back with some more of the. Um, goodies here that Jim can share with us. Now is the hour, I give you my word, not past nor future, now is it heard, light as a feather, high as a bird. Thank you for joining us here back at Ask a Leader this morning, August 21st. My guest remains Jim Washburn at local cultural institution, and I'm sure you're catching on why. We are so glad that he's available this entire hour today. So you are also we're going to pick up um, with uh, some more particulars about uh, the Great Park here. Any, anything else to type? We talked about 8:15. You're going to try to start early uh, for yep. the audience.
0: And if you get there around, I'd recommend getting there around seven, because uh, it's pretty, and because that way there you they do have seating there, but it's, it's somewhat limited. I don't know how crowded this is going to be, so you can bring your own folding seating or whatever or blankets, but. Uh, I'd say not blankets because this is largely in a concrete area. It's there in the palm court where there's a bunch of beautiful palm trees around with lights strung up on them. Great sound. The guys doing sound is fabulous there. Good stage. And uh, if you get there early, you'll get to partake of more of the nonsense. We're going to just have a lot of canned music playing beforehand of guitar stuff. And uh, you can see the Guitar Museum and eat some food.
1: Well, you've contributed in so many other ways here too, and I want to talk about your contributions in the printed media. And, and I want you to sort of think out loud for what you would advise um, you know, students who are gonna take up a journalism major and that kind of a thing. The printed media doesn't look anything like it was when you were with the LA Times decades ago. So what do yeah. you want to project here for us, Jim?
0: I would say if you can avoid a career in journalism, you certainly should, um, however, if you, if you feel what they call the calling to it, there it is. You'll find a way somehow. But it's uh, it's a lot harder than it used to be. And everything's changing as well, you know, th- with the blogs and whatnot. Uh, print journalism is maybe going away. Who knows? I know people at the L.A. Times were just, you know, this would have been unimaginable a decade ago. But they're wondering if there's going to be a Times five, ten years from now, if even that long. I suspect it will survive. It's necessary. But... Uh, they might have to change a little more, too. But, but
1: a student, yeah. though, majoring in journalism, that's a matter that, that the format may be just different, but they still mm-hmm. need to know the kind of the ethical standards, the mm-hmm. um, the sort of uh, certain mechanisms, certain certain things that uh, you learn, uh, theories, mm-hmm. uh, all kinds of backgrounds so that mm-hmm. uh, you can work with what kind of way in which media is presented now. So maybe... It's just, it's not the same journalism that you entered into, but, and I wanted, there was one quote that I thought was so, so Jim Washburn, and uh, in one of your OC Weekly articles, you said, War is a blunt instrument. Saying war was a good way to get rid of Saddam Hussein is like saying a hurricane was a good way to get stray dogs off the streets of New Orleans. I think that's great, and you write many things like that. So Just using that uh, analogy for all it's worth and uh, no nonsense, it's clear, and it's descriptive, and it's very memorable. Well, thank you.
0: I'm lucky where I got to just sort of stumble through journalism in a way where I wound up doing what I like to do. Uh, The way I got into it is I was running a hippie record store, more of a post-hippie record store, in the uh, 70s called Beggar's Banquet up in Anaheim. And one of our customers was then the music critic at the register, C.P. Smith. And he kind of, you know, this was an era, basically rock critics at newspapers came about because newspapers eventually realized that this rock and roll music wasn't going away and they should probably cover it. And none of their established writers were really interested in it. So suddenly there was a generation of copy boys essentially that said, I'd like to write about it. I'll go to that show. Uh, that was pretty much C.P.'s story. That's how Robert Hilburn kind of got his little start at the Times, and they became, and there were some, you know, magazine rock critics before that that were fairly serious guys, but this was how the generation of newspaper critics came about, just because they were enthusiasts about the music and no one else really wanted the gig. Uh, CP was quite the enthusiast. He didn't always know everything, though, whereas I was a little smarty pants where music was involved, so he used to call me at the record store a fair amount with questions when he was working on something. Uh, When he became an editor, he asked me if I'd try writing for them, which I did. And that was an expanding time of journalism where, you know, both papers in the county, the Times and the Register were hiring. They had a circulation war on, so they were covering just about everything that moved, which was great for the arts in general. Right. You know, free publicity, essentially, you know, advancing things and also critiques to... Yeah, you we're know, at least whiny. Well, it's a two-way
1: street. It's free publicity, and it's much more exposure for the 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 patron of all these fine performances around.
0: Yeah, and all, and uh, I think that we got spoiled. All the arts institutions certainly did at the time, because if you did something good, people were going to hear about it. Right. Uh, whereas now it's sort of like shouting down a hole in a lot of ways. A lot of good shows go on that people only hear about it afterward from people that were there. And all, and. Um, and, uh, again, through my lucky stumble through journalism, I started off doing music, which I loved. I didn't like writing about it so much. Uh, I don't like most music critics uh, when it comes down to it.
1: Oh, really? Yeah.
0: I, and they're Bob, too what? Bob Hilburn, not... for example, tremendously nice guy, was very dedicated to his work, very hard worker, all that sort of stuff. But I just didn't get him because I don't think he got music. You know, he oh. would he would go straight to the lyric sheet, and he would write about lyrics and controversy and if the band was controversial or fell off the stage or something like that. But when it actually came to the expressive power of music,
1: I think it was kind of at a loss. More of a tabloid coverage yeah. than a, a, yeah. a, a devotee of what was being played. Yeah,
0: but but certainly, you know, in the long run, good for things. So who knows? Um, and then from music criticism, particularly once at the Weekly and also at the Times, I wound up doing a humor column and edging more into the politics and social commentary. Uh, which is fun for me because I like to write. And rather than writing about someone else doing something interesting, I prefer to try to do something interesting myself. And fortunately at the time, um, things opened up, enough I was afforded the opportunity to do that.
1: Okay. And, you know, I there's one thing that will go back in, in the resume of Jim Washburn, and I I do believe we are in for some some kind of a nugget here to ask about your being a janitor at Robinson's at at fashion island
0: i'm glad you asked me that that was my first job at a high school a friend and i and i who just uh, didn't have much in the way of ambition uh, just somehow somebody told us about this job it was handy lived in newport and it was sort of dreamy you'd start like at 4:30 or 5 in the morning it was still dark outside the world seemed fresh and new and they wouldn't have most of the lights on in the place this was the the robinsons at fashion island and so you'd have like three or four floors there that was essentially dark except for the emergency lights. Mm-hmm. So they are saving money there, yet they would have the canned music playing, the Muzak of the day. Oh, that's right. And it was just sort of eerie. You're in a, a dark place with mannequins and Muzak playing, pushing your vacuum cleaner around. And it was a very kind of hoity-toity place in its way, too. One of my favorite things was there having a sale one day, a big sale, and I was still out on the floor you're supposed to have all the trash and everything done by the time the store opens but i was still finishing up my last section and my cart was out there and i come out from the dressing rooms with some trash to find this matronly newport woman just digging through my trash dumpster which was mostly boxes and paper and things like that and she's just digging and digging and digging expectantly finally she looks up and sees me and says why why this is trash yes and That's all there was to that story. I just loved it. It made the whole job worthwhile. Oh, my goodness. That and the fact my boss was, I think, from Louisiana somewhere and was just impossible to tell what he was saying half the time. And one morning we were by like those huge plate glass windows they had and there was a squirrel frolicking outside. And he spent about the next eight minutes describing to me how you catch a squirrel, how you skin it, how you cook it, and all. And (sighs) just the sort of education you don't get elsewhere.
1: No, right there at Robinson's before before the 40% off signs are are, mm-hmm. are messed with by the customers yeah. well you had uh, one other nugget you were wanting to share in our show this morning so well we'll we'll, uh, we'll take pause for that so I um, also I wanted to take this uh, this moment to um, and let, let me just back up the 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 quote I did was from from uh, Jim Washburn's The Kevlar Anniversary. So I thought that was the good title for a great analogy about what the uh, blunt instrument that war is. So uh, now, in keeping with the writing uh, exercise, I wanted just to make sure everybody knew, we did this last year. We let one of the board members for the Newport Beach Public Library Foundation uh, talk about uh, and it is a ritual. It will be occurring again this year. It is un- it's going on now. They are putting on a creative writing competition for high school students, and that deadline I believe is September first. And you can get more information by getting to the website, uh, the uh, Newport Beach uh, Library Foundation. Um, that let's see here. I've got that Yeah, Newport Beach, NPBL, B, uh, NPBF. Um, for the, um, the writing contest of particulars. And good luck to all of you. I hope that you take advantage of this opportunity to work your creative juices and have them scrutinized by people who really do like the, the printed word. So uh, there was a, an addition. Um, we're going to uh, like to um, talk about, well, what media is your favorite to work with, Jim? Um,
0: writing, though it bugs me, I've been finishing up a novel lately which is about my favorite writing because it's I don't have to rely on facts you know. after years and years and years and years of interviewing people and transcribing it and doing all of that stuff uh, doing something where you don't have to rely on, and hope someone else is going to say something interesting is, is a real delight whether I'm suited to it or not I guess remains for a public to say um, but I like it a lot <laughs> I've also done 2 nonfiction books one was A History of Martin Guitars which is America's oldest guitar company. They go back how a- old? 1833. Wow. And actually the its founder had been making guitars in Europe for a decade or two before that, before he emigrated here. And it just uh, it was fascinating learning about American history, like, you know, just what the country was like at the time, how many things were still moved around this country by canal, uh, the fact that they had a huge fire, I think, in 1834 or something in New York City, and it was mm-hmm. in the wintertime. And the hoses, which were made out of leather, froze and cracked. You know, they didn't have rubber yet to make right. hoses out of. It's a very different world back then. And their archives, they have letters going back to the 1840s with the original stamps on the envelopes. And they didn't manufacture envelopes back then. People had to get good at folding paper to make their own envelopes. Yes,
1: and that is an art, and I still like to look at that and try it myself. But yeah. anyway, so the, the that has to do with the fact that there, there was a fire that occurred where some of those... Lovely artifacts. were no more. Uh,
0: not so much, no. The, the fire was just, you know, I was, I was just trying to point out that everyone thought America was this land of opportunity. It was also a land fraught with unknown dangers and things like that. You know, at the time when, when this guy immigrated to the C.F. Martin, the first immigrated to the U.S. to find a new life, um, we were on the verge of disunion. You know, the Civil that's War right. was coming up. Uh, there were huge riots in New York City. Pushing westward? It, it, if you've seen Gangs of New York, that's a fairly accurate depiction of sort of like the hurly-burly way things were back then. Nothing was really settled in this country. You know, it was still kind of a dangerous place. But I, I'm sorry, I, I digress, I guess. No, that, well, that's yeah.
1: fine. No, But that is it's an interesting thought that, to think that gangs are a century yeah. and a half old there so that's a it's not just some sort of in Mm -hmm. your fake in your face or ethnic sort of uh, staking out but it's 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 the the vibrations of uh, the big apple
0: it's human nature I guess yeah the other nonfiction book I did was I collaborated with John Crean on his autobiography Uh, are you familiar with John
1: only but there's names on a lot of institutions including a,
0: a, a private school he was quite the philanthropist and um grew up poor in Compton and in his garage started a basically a trailer company that became the largest manufactured home company in the world and Mm -hmm. he was a fascinating life total iconoclast and i was delighted to know him and he was a conservative i'm not and i i love reaching across to people like that and they reach back
1: to you he must have working on that with you yeah okay well jim washburn i it's been such a pleasure to cover so many different things that, uh, that you know about so much and are so near and dear to you. I thank you for all the, the time you've contributed to helping institutionalize the Great Park and its cultural offerings. And I just want to remind everybody, it's the Great Park. $10 gets you parked in there. It's free to enter. Perform You, you can arrive around 6 or before, and then uh, the music generally starts at around uh, eight o'clock or so and uh, it goes till 10 15 i think they've got to cut it off there for the uh, budding neighbors and uh, next week uh, before uh, i turn this over to george rosales with his hat next week we are going to have sandy robertson who will talk about her bookings for the summers and weekend at the great park and also we'll have courtney burks to step up limber up and listen up We'll do that with her. She's the fitness director at the Anita Recreation Center. So thank you all for listening today. And uh, we're going to go out with a piece of uh, that would be Mr. Watson's tune. And the tune, the tune is called
0: Jumping with Junior.
1: Jumping with Junior. Thanks a lot, Jim, for being with us today.
0: Thanks so much for having me. All right. your delightful show.
1: Oh, it's good having you and everybody. We'll see you next week. George is up next.